The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and on the show today, I have a lively talk with the editor-in-chief of the new FNS Science, Dr. William Catherino. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. You open the first issue with a quote by the prolific science fiction writer Robert Heinlein. And for those who aren't familiar, he wrote Stranger in a Strange Land and Starship Troopers and just a very prolific writer. Not as much as Philip K. Dick, but he he did write a lot. I don't think anyone wrote more than Philip K. Dick. But it's really interesting that you use this quote. Everything is theoretically impossible until it's done. Well, I think that a lot of the challenges that we that we run into with application of effort and and knowledge, perseverance, frustration, and ultimately success that we end up moving the, the ball forward. I think it's like both the combination of the interest in finding new discoveries and the direct application to our patient populations. And the fact that we've been able to be so successful in being able to treat infertility in a wide range of patients to provide opportunities to build families for couples, that's what really creates that driving force. Um, I tell a lot of the um, medical students when I teach them at the Uniform Services University that the one thing that's great about reproductive endocrinology and fertility is that we're still learning a lot of the causes of the issues, but we can do something about them. This is different from other areas where they're very good at identifying the problem, but can't do much about it. And it's, I think, a very exciting opportunity to learn more so we can better understand it and that we can continue to advance care for our patients. And I think it provides both the enthusiasm of science and the direct clinical application. Did you feel then that there was a lot lacking in journals in the area of reproductive medicine or just in the general sciences? You mentioned that you were talking about teaching and is that was sort of what drove a lot of the inception of FNS science, just a lack of what you wanted to see or maybe what you'd had conversations with other people about? Yeah, I think it's that. And also it was it was spread out among many different journals. One of the challenges when you're trying to look at basic science, which basic science is really your glimpse into the future, that's telling you where we're going, that's giving you an idea of what the world's going to be like and the improvement in care that you'll be able to provide. Trying to find those articles spread out amongst many journals on a wide range of topics makes it very difficult to see these patterns and be able to, to create and draw from them to identify new areas. Kind of like the Watson and Crick story where you take a bunch of different bits of data that other people have generated and create your hypothesis and then test it. By, by spreading that material out, we don't have that opportunity to do that. Now, Fertility and Sterility, the, our parent journal, is really a clinical journal. It has a lot of issues that directly relate to particular care today. It allows you to better understand clinical questions that are important that you need to address today. But the question is, who's focusing on tomorrow? If we continually look at minor advancements or answering questions that basic science has created, but we're trying to now get a sense of if they're, if they're true in a patient setting, I think that's a valuable step. But where did these conceptual breakthroughs come from? They came from 
somebody identifying specific patterns and investigating them. By having FNS Science, we create that repository, that area where you can go to and find those classic papers that are going to be classic in 20 or 30 years. And people can go and, to one site and identify them. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, like, if you don't mind, I, I want to read a, a quote from your article. Sure. This will be the groundbreaking journal that you will go to even 20 to 30 years in the future. Studies that will be the cornerstone of tomorrow's miracles. Dogma and scientific fads will come, thrive, decline, and fade. The knowledge in this journal will provide the repository of reliable findings that we can return to again and again to rebuild better and more reliable models to provide ever-improving patient care. It's just such a beautiful, bold statement, and I, I, I think that it, it makes me wonder about who are you? Who are, who are the authors for this then? Like, who are you looking for? Or, 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 or do you have ideas already, or, or do you think that they'll just come along? Well, I think that they're there. The the authors are there. I've met them. I've worked with them, um, and and they're doing fascinating work. The challenge is there's no home for these these articles. There's some amazing work that's being done all over the world. That's fantastic. But the challenge is when the when the article when the studies are done and the article is written, the question is where do I submit this article to? And it's submitted to a wide range of journals. And I think that's you get to a really important point of what is what value does this journal provide? And let me divide that into two areas. Why should somebody read it? Why bother reading this journal? And I think if you're a practitioner in infertility, you care about this, you're a scientist, um, or any of these reasons, what does this provide for you? And I think that the main value that you get from it and what you're trying to draw from it is that it provides that repository. It gives you that understanding and gives you a glimpse of where reproductive care will evolve. And is in it that sense, it's, it's more theoretical than it is grounded or empirical. Right. So, so absolutely. The whole point is to identify a hypothesis and that hypothesis is then tested in some way to answer that question. And based upon that hypothesis, somebody may say, huh, there's multiple, this particular molecule or this particular setting creates an environment that appears to be in advance in the way that we're providing care now. We can take those bits of information and then we run clinical trials to test them. But a clinical trial is really designed to answer a question that we're pretty sure we already know the answer to. Otherwise, you wouldn't make the investment in the time and effort. Whereas the science, the, the basic science is really asking, giving you the freedom to ask these really unusual questions that are really going to help you to, to lay that groundwork down. The other thing I think that's important is that it provides, by, by reading this, it's an inspiration for the work that, that you're doing now. You're providing care for patients now, you're doing research now, and it's exciting to see the steps. It's exciting to see the advancement that we're here. And then finally, you have the awareness of what your peers are up to. And that's always fun to sit there and see what they're up to and how things are going. Now, the second part, of course, is why should you submit to FNS Science? And the fact is, who are we looking for? We're looking for those doing science, particularly clinical or the uh, reproductive endocrinology fellows who are obligated to do a thesis. And it's nice to be able to have a site for this. Fertility Australia has tried to help with the, um, with the research done by clinical fellows, but one of the challenges they run into is that you're competing against large laboratories and your thesis is really 
uh, and limited in time and scope. And so it's important to have that home. The other advantage of it is that you can go to this and 20 years from now, look at your own thesis published in this area. So again, we're looking for high quality articles, but these are the groundworks. Your questions as a clinical fellow are important questions because you're right there on the front lines wondering why something is some way or, or another. Many people speculate that open access, it's the wave of the future. Uh, I talked to Dr. Paulson a little bit about it uh, when I interviewed him. Yes, for those who have who, who are members, they, they get free access to it. Because the, the issue is to be able to advance the science, we need people to know what that science is. And it's important to give people that freedom to be able to read these articles, find the ones they, they think are interesting, and develop new hypotheses. And I think one of the challenges of journals that limit access is that they, it might be a very interesting study, but that access is so limited that no one's going to use that information. And that, I think, is a mistake, in my opinion. I think we need to allow people to have access so that they can move the, move the uh, effort of discovery forward. Well, you, do you think that also helps with broadening the field itself. I was talking with Dr. Michael Thomas recently, who's the new chair of the Diversity, uh, Inclusion, and Equity Task Force of ASRM. And he was very adamant about the need to expand the field. And yes. do you think such with FNS science and, and with FNS reviews and FNS reports, is, is that something that the thought that has gone into that? How, does the, how will this material push our field forward? How will we get people into the field? How can we make the field grow? Sure. And we want to be welcoming. We're a big tent group. Are we interested in work and thoughts of embryologists? Of course. Are we interested in the work and thoughts of reproductive endocrinology nurses or epidemiologists? Of course. This type of work is a type of work that allows people, if you have the ability to ask the question and it relates to human reproduction, we are thrilled to consider it for publication. Thrilled. That's ex this is exactly the location that we need to be publishing it. What are three different aspects of the journal that, that people can look forward to? Uh, I think I, the way we set it up is, I, I think, really kind of exciting. I'm just using this article or this particular uh, journal, our inaugural uh, episode that's, or ep journal that's coming out, as a model which we're going to maintain. The issue is we try to look backwards, we look at the present, and we look at the future. So one thing we've done in this article is we've invited uh, V. Craig Jordan, who is the father of tamoxifen, and I had him talk about clomiphene and selective estrogen receptor modulators from the setting of what was going on when these stu studies were being done. What were people thinking? How were things going? Not so much a listing of the studies that led to the use of clomiphene citrate, but how were people? What was happening during that time frame? What were people thinking about and how are things moving forward? We have the articles of today and we have 10 articles, 10 peer reviewed, high quality articles of what people are thinking about today. And then we have a section called looking through the crystal ball where we invite somebody to talk about their research, but then talk about from a science fiction standpoint, if it were all true, what are the implications that this science would have for, the provide, for providing care? And to give you a sense of why that retrospective and prospective view is so important, if you look back at 50 years of FNS, you'll find that back in the day, we were doing things like 
irradiating the uterus to treat for dysfunctional uterine bleeding. We were evaluating cervical mucus, doing endometrial dating, looking for chemotactic factors in sperm. And nowadays we think that's quaint and we think that's, you know, uh, of course they didn't know that. They didn't have information to know that these necessarily were not particularly great ideas. They certainly didn't help in the uh, treatment of patients with reproductive disorders. But tomorrow, we may be having people saying the same thing about the hysterosalpingogram, about doing surgery for fibroids, about uh, ovarian hyperstimulation issues or recurrent miscarriage. The fact is, we have issues today that in the future, people may be writing articles about and saying, remember when they used to do this, or remember when they used to think about that. That's by putting it in context of there is a past and there is a future. This is a different journal. It's not just a listing of here's 10 articles we happen to have gotten that are pretty good. It's in context, this is why the study of reproductive medicine is so important. So how often can everyone look forward to a new issue of FNS Science? Are there set dates every month? Or what's, what's the publication schedule right. look like? We're aiming for quarterly. So that's where we are now. Now we're doing a pretty good job. We're always looking for high quality articles and we can, the more the better but we're doing a pretty good job in maintaining that pathway. My hope is to continue to expand it to the point we're coming out on a monthly basis. Right now we're set and scheduled and slotted for that much space, but I'm gonna keep on pushing. As long as we have high quality articles and lots of interest, um, we will continue to increase the number of publications so that people will have this. It's fine, we're, that's, the, that's my hope and dream is that we have that level of enthusiasm. How long was it from the inception of the idea of FNS and science to get to the first issue? How long? How long was it? It's an interesting. So I don't. I don't know when it was when it was first conceived. And really, I have to thank the people who were involved with that. And they were really at the time that the ASRM uh, president at the time was Peter Schlegel, and then of course Catherine Rakowski and, and Hugh Taylor were highly involved in in supporting this. The publication committee of Sam Pfeiffer, Jim Seegers, and Bob Brannigan were really important. And Elsevier and ASRM really set the groundwork for the concept of these journals. They then, well, to give you a little background on myself, I think a lot of people could end up being editor-in-chief. I mean, I, th I think there's a lot of people who clearly have the capability of doing it. Um, when I w was working or when I was talking with people at ASRM and talking about fertility and sterility, I found it frustrating that there were a lot of high quality um, basic science papers that really weren't the focus of fertility and sterility. And I was making the argument that there should be more effort in increasing this. So out came the concept of these journals. This was probably September 2019 timeframe that, you know, hey, we're looking at this editor in chief and Bill, you should talk to them and see, you know, if, if they're interested. And I made the argument that it doesn't matter who the editor-in-chief is, it's important to have this journal. And so I got a call from Peter Schlegel as I was driving to ASRM in October saying, yeah, congratulations with the kind of put up or shut up, you know, like you've been talking about this, here's your chance. So, okay, that's fine. I'm happy to, happy to step in and do this. So that's, that's when it was announced and we were just, it was merely a thought. By the time we got everything organized and Elsevier was able to bring in papers and that's where that, uh, that all the logistics had been worked out, it was now January 15th. That was the first day that I received an article for FNS Science. And three months later, well, three or four months later, 
we then had enough high quality articles reviewed, accepted, and ready to go, and the editorials uh, taken care of that were submitted so that we could get our first inaugural issue. I don't think there's a lack of enthusiasm. I think there was just a lack of opportunity before. And do you, so that's one that's amazing, the, the amount of submissions that are coming in. And so I can't ever think that this, this would have ever seen the light of day as a paper-based or, or, or more traditional journal. I think it would have been much harder as a paper-based because one of the things I insisted upon is that there be no limits to figures. Because the problem that FNS had was that there were only four, four figures maximum. And when you're doing a clinical trial, you might be able to pull that off. But as a basic science trial, there's a lot of information that you need to put out. Or if you're doing, you know, a, a complex study or trying to answer a complex question, there's a lot, it's hard to do it. And so what I used to do when I published in Fertility and Sterility is had figure one, but then had six or eight uh, figures within figure one so that I could fit the data in. Um, and I, when we started here, I said, no, there's, we can't have a limit. Now, the advantage of it being online is it's fine. There's no issues related to color. There's no issues related to space because it's electronic. And in my opinion, I think that we've evolved past a paper journal. I think if I want to look up information, I go online, I ask a question, I try to find the articles that are available, and I download them or I read them electronically. So I don't really need that paper journal at this point but I do need access to that information. And I think that's why the electronic format is so powerful. Well, you, you do you envision then using this format to branch out to more multimodal uses to present information? I mean, video, uh, audio, the whole shebang? I think that that's the, the ultimate goal. Once we have uh, the, arc, uh, the few journals underneath us, we've got a good pathway by which we're generating uh, enough uh, support and enough information, then we reach out and say, what other uh, what other areas, what are we missing? What other opportunities can we do to make this more effective? One thing that I tried to do in the organization of FNS science was instead of having something specifically to, let's say, uterine fibroids or endometriosis, instead of talking about disease process, I said, let's talk about diseases of the uterus, diseases of the ovary, diseases, reproductive biology, so that you take articles that aren't necessarily related to a specific disease type, but are similar and put them together so that you say, hi, I read that article and this other article has, has similar qualities to it. Now, maybe I'm not interested in diseases of the fallopian tube, but I am interested in this, what I just read and now I want to read that next article. So I think that the way we're putting it together will open up the opportunity for people to say, hey, let's try something new because it feels young as it is. It feels young and fresh and motivating. What about the submission process, the impact factor and things of that nature? Sure, very boring, but here we go. Um, <laughs> so this is a brand new journal. And because it's a brand new journal, impact factor is assessed by what impact the journal has had in, in future submissions. So because the very first journal will come out at the end of this month, we have no idea how many people will read these articles and say, hey, I would like to use that as a reference for future studies. So we don't have that. So will we get it? Absolutely. We will get an impact factor. Here's my opinion on that. I'm very underwhelmed with the whole concept of impact factor. 
back in the day, it made sense. If you had to make a decision of whether I'm going to buy JAMA or whether I'm going to buy reproduction, for sake of argument, I look at impact factor and I say, well, the articles in here are cited more, so they're probably more related. But now that we go on Scopus or PubMed or other search engines, it doesn't matter what journal it's in. It makes no difference. So in that sense, the issue is more about the articles and the interest that you have in those topics and less upon the specific impact factor associated with the journal. The impact is on you and it's, a, it's an individual and personal impact, not the fact that lots of people cite articles. And as you know, there's lots of ways to game it. Write a controversial article, lots of people will cite it and tell you that you're wrong, but it has a high impact factor, but it's not necessarily a, a, a something that moves the, the field forward. So then let's talk about submission. Submission is very easy. You go to fertsturtscience.org, F-E-R-T-S-T-R-T-E-R-T, science.org. Um, and then you go on the upper right-hand side, you'll find Submit Manuscript. Click on that button. And then the submission process is identical to the submission process for fertility and sterility or FNS reports or FNS reviews. It's very straightforward. A lot of uh, drag and drop as opposed to back in the day when you had to download each and every one. It's very user-friendly and that helps uh, substantially. So it's a very easy way to submit articles. Also, if you submit to Fertility and Sterility and they say, wow, this would be a great article for FNS Science, they may even say, hey, listen, it seems like this is a, a really good issue uh, opportunity to go to FNS Science. And if you say yes, we'll submit it for you. You don't even have to do anything. You just say yes and it immediately comes to us. Dr. Catherine, thank you so much for being able to be here today. Will you come back? Can you come back sure, and talk to us some more in, in, in yeah, a little, yeah. little later time? I mean, we would love that. I have so much to cover with you, and I just I just want to make sure that we're getting, I sort of like to think that this is a groundworks so that you can come back uh, and speak to us some more once we get some FNS science out there uh, and you some bet. people's eyeballs on it. So again, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for, for being on ASRM today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Jeff. That's great. That was Dr. William Catherino, Editor-in-Chief of the new FNS Science. I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, other information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. 